It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, a lot of interesting things we're going to be talking about coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with uh, Andrea Press and uh, Francesca Tripodi. They are uh, the co-authors of a book called Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism, How U.S. Audiences Create Meaning Across Platforms. And I'll talk with uh, Andrea and Francesca coming up uh, during the third hour of the show. In the middle hour, the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Sarah John, a senior policy scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, who has taken a look at what uh, people can expect going to the grocery store and uh, in terms of supply and pricing and all of that kind of stuff we'll talk about that but coming up right now this first hour of the show we start out with uh, a conversation about a new book why is my child in charge a roadmap to end power struggles increase cooperation and find joy in parenting young children. I wish this book had been around when my kids were little, but uh, but for those of you with youngsters, you may want to turn the uh, volume up just a little bit as we talk with Claire Lerner, who joins me by phone. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, it seems like, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm just getting to that age where, you know, every sentence starts with, uh, oh, these kids today. <laughs> <laughs> but But there does seem to be something... A, a greater sense of entitlement by children. Am, am I reading that wrong? Well, I think um, I, I think what you may be describing, Tom, is the sort of phenomenon in recent generations of parenting where they parents are now have access to an amazing amount of new research in brain development over the last 20 to 30 years in which we've learned so much more about how incredibly um, viable, if you will, babies are and how much they are taking in and learning about the world around them even before day one. And, um, and so parents are, are much more focused on the importance of nurturing healthy early development in the earliest years and engaging in very interactive ways with kids and, you know, giving choices to give them efficacy and agency and to build their confidence, which is all awesome. But sometimes the pendulum swings too far and parents lose sight of the importance also of clear limits and boundaries. And that's when things tend to go off the rails. And when families seek out my guidance is when things have gone upside down. And I think that may be what you're talking about when you see kids, you know, melting down in Target because they couldn't get, you know, the treasured toy they wanted. Um, or, you know, they're negotiating for an hour, you know, of more books at bedtime um, or, you know, the extra, you know, candy after dinner and parents are engaged in protracted power struggles with them and it often seems like the child's in charge. And I, I think what's happened is that parents have the best of intentions, but it's hard to find that line. How do you be a really good limit setter, and also be a really loving, supportive parent. And I think that's where, um, you know, there's some confusion and why the optics are in the outside world that, you know, kids are not as regulated or as, you know, quote-unquote cooperative as maybe it looked like in earlier generations. Well, as I look back to when I was growing up, which was, you know, back in the days of Conestoga wagons, but um, <laughs> but corporal punishment was still the norm. You know, you would get swats at school if you misbehaved. You were likely to get spankings at home uh, for, you know, misbehaving. And as we've vectored that out of parenting and the way we deal with problem behaviors, have we really, I, I, I don't want to go back to those days where we did things 
because we behaved because we were afraid of our parents. But did we come up with ways to enforce discipline that aren't fear or, or physical abuse based? Well, yes. I mean, the short answer is yes. And you're hitting on something very important, which is that when I meet with parents and do what, what I think of as the detective work of unpacking how are these dynamics unfolding when a parent has a very clear, important limit in mind that is healthy and important for the child, but, but they're unable to implement it. And, and part of it is that there's kind of this bifurcation between love and limits, that parents think they're either loving their child, which, you know, connecting and bonding and talking and reading and playing and sharing food together, or they're setting limits and they're disciplining as if they're two separate things and somehow discipline or limit setting is mean and they have a very hard time getting to, I think, what you're getting at, which is it is possible to be a loving limit setter. You don't have to choose one or the other. It's not that you're harsh and punitive or you're loving your child. Setting clear limits in a loving way is actually one of the most foundational aspects of healthy parenting. And the dream is possible. Um, what it takes is a lot of parental self-control. And I think that's where things really break down. That, you know, kids engage in behaviors that are very maddening and often seemingly very irrational from the adult perspective. Um, you know, you, you, you give a child, you know, something special five days in a row and on the sixth day you say no and they're like, I never get, you know, that special time with you, mom, or I never get a new toy at Target, um, which of course seems insane to the parent, but from the child's perspective, they're living in the moment and their brains are not fully developed by any stretch of the imagination. That part of the brain, the frontal lobe, which helps us manage our impulses and our emotions and helps us learn to manage life's frustrations and disappointments and not act on our feelings is actually not fully developed until age 26. So these kids aren't misbehaving. They're just having a hard time accepting the limit. And that's where things go south because they start to protest. They start to have a huge tantrum in public. They start to hurl vitriol at you because they're angry and they're triggered by what we call the downstairs brain, which is the reactive brain, and then parents lose control and they start to get harsh and punitive. Um, even though, you know, thankfully, most parents are not using physical discipline anymore, there's still a lot of yelling and bribing and threatening and shaming kids, <laughs> which we, we also know is, is detrimental to kids. So there is a world in which the following could happen, okay? The following might be, you know what, Tom, I know, it's never going to be enough sweets. You're always going to want more sweets. Sweets are amazing, and I totally get that you don't like daddy's rule that there's no sweets today after dinner. Totally get it. I don't expect you to like my rule, but that's my daddy rule because my job is to help you grow healthy and strong. They fall out 
and all you do is say, I know, it's, it's a tough moment. I totally get it. You let them have their upset. That upset, Tom, that state of distress at not getting something you want is not harmful to children. What happens is parents get very triggered by the distress their child is experiencing, and they cave or they try and talk them out of their feelings, which only makes it worse. So actually in my book, that's a lot of what I'm doing is going through these faulty mindsets like tantrums are harmful to kids um, or that, um, you know, my child's misbehaving on purpose. They're just learning and our job is to be able to tolerate their upset and stick to the loving limits in a loving way without getting reactive because that's when you start to get kids who learn really good coping skills. I uh, was uh, challenged by my my oldest daughter when she was uh, a tween, and I uh, I have to admit, Claire, I kind of snapped and I threatened to dress like a hippie and take her to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> And the Very look, creative. The, <laughs> the look of terror in her eyes. But then, you know, the thing that I used to run into was the, you know, the, the pushback, the you're not the boss of me. And mm-hmm. my younger daughter, and she was only about four or five at the time, she, uh, and, and this was over the number of cookies she could have. She was going to get a cookie, but she wanted five. And I refused the five, and she stormed out of the kitchen into her bedroom, slammed the door. Then she came, she opened the door and came out, looked me straight in the eye and said, you don't love me and you never did. And she went back in and slammed the door again. I thought, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So here's what I would say. So let's, let's, unpack it and say, okay, so what I would say is going on there based on the, you know, limited information I have is that, you know, you've set a clear limit, which is a healthy, loving limit because it is your job, right? Otherwise, it would be Lord of the Flies and kids would just eat junk all day and never go to sleep and be on screens all day, right? (laughs) Excuse me. So you... That's the first mind shift is like this limit is loving. This is my, like kids have parents for a reason. And so that's one major mind shift. The next major mind shift is just because your child doesn't like a limit, (coughs) excuse me, doesn't mean it's not good for her. I can't expect my child to say, thank you so much, dad, for setting this important limit so I can have more, (laughs) you know, (coughs) more growing foods in my body. Like that's a very unrealistic expectations. So these are the mindsets I would be taking you through. Like this is a loving limit. Your child's breakdown over it is totally to be expected. Kids are very strategic. And this is a very important mind shift, Tom. They're strategic, not manipulative. If you see your child as being Mm manipulative. I I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a break here. And I want to talk about this some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Oh, sure. Great. Sure. No problem. My guest is Claire Lerner, the uh, 
The book is Why Is My Child in Charge? We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hello as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air 
where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is a uh, child development specialist and author of a new book, Why Is My Child in Charge? A Roadmap to End Power Struggles, Increase Cooperation, and Find Joy in Parenting Young Children. And her name is Claire Lerner. She joins me by phone. Claire, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, it was great. It gave me a chance to drink some water <laughs> to get that <laughs> frog out of my throat. Now I have one. Um, but uh, By the way, Tom, I also should tell you that I went to University of Michigan and lived in Detroit for um, a year after I graduated. So um, I'm, I'm a, a Michigander in, in some way, shape, or form. Well, that that's uh, now you went to U of M. That's in Ann Arbor. Did you then, when you got out of school, live in Detroit for a while? Yes, oh, I okay. lived in Detroit and did home visiting um, with families um, to help them support their children's early development. So I did that for a year. Where were you from originally, Claire? I'm originally from northern New Jersey right across the river from New York City, and now I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. Well, you should have been, you should have felt right at home in Detroit. I, I did. <laughs> I actually love Detroit. <laughs> um, just before the break, you said something about uh, children not having the ability to be manipulative, and yet I have these these memories of times when I really believed they were being manipulative, my daughters. And other children I've seen, you know, and, and, um, their cousins and so on. Um, what do you mean they're, they, they, they're not manipulative? So what I mean by that is when you think of somebody being manipulative, you're, it puts you in a, in a harsh and negative state of mind. Right, like this person's sociopathic and will do anything to get their way. And it, it, it leads to more harsh and punitive reactions, which we know actually only um, increase the power struggles and don't lead towards a positive resolution and learning, which is almost always the goal, right? You're setting a limit. Your child doesn't like it. They start to engage in all sorts of behaviors to try and get you to change your mind. That is part of a child's DNA, right? At a cellular level, they are wired to pursue their agenda. There is nothing wrong with that. They are going to use all the tools in their toolkit to get you to change your mind. So when you see it through that lens that your child just being strategic, and they're clever, and if a strategy works to get that extra hour of TV or to stay up, you know, later another hour to get that toy they want, it goes in the win column, and they rely on those strategies. So if you, if you make the mind shift that, I just have a really clever child who's 
you know, using all of her her um, know-how. Um, and it's my job as the adult to let her know what strategies are going to work and which aren't. You are much better able to do something like this. So going back to your example, Tom, it would simply be, I'm just going to call your daughter Sarah. Sarah, I totally get it. You don't like daddy's wool. Of course, why would you want to limit on, on, on treats? Why would anybody want to limit on treats? They're amazing. I totally get you don't like my rule. I'm not asking you to like it. I don't expect you to like it. And if you need to be upset about it, no problem. Like, it's your mind and body. And if you need to be upset, I totally understand. But I'm sticking to the limit because that's my job. When parents respond like that, it's very respectful you're teaching her a very important lesson that you're going to stick to important limits and you're showing her that, you know, pulling on your heartstrings or making you feel guilty, um, those are not going to get you to change your mind. That's when kids stop using those strategies, right? So she's saying to you, you know, you're the worst dad, I hate you. I would encourage you to say, I know you don't like my limit and you're angry right now. I strongly suggest to parents that you not take that kind of vitriol and venom that kids use at face value. They don't really mean it. They're just triggered and they're in reactive mode. And the bigger reaction you have and the more quote-unquote lesson you try to teach them in that moment, the more you're reinforcing those behaviors because any behavior that gets a big response is reinforced. So if she's angry at you because you're not giving her more treats and now she says, you know, you never loved her or you're a bad daddy and you take the bait and you start to get angry and reactive, it only reinforces that behavior, right? If the child's trying to sort of yank your chain, then if your chain gets yanked, that's a successful strategy in that moment. And it's not healthy for them or for you. So the best thing to do is ignore the vitriol. But here's the important thing. Don't ignore your child because then they only up the ante to get heard. It's much more effective to just go to the underlying feeling. I know you're mad at daddy right now because I'm not giving you something you want. Totally get it. Totally fine if you need to be angry. And you move on and you don't engage in this protracted power struggle, which is really what's most detrimental for kids and parents. But it can only happen if your mindset is, I have an amazing kid, she's very clever, she's eager to pursue her goal, and it's my job to set the clear limits so that the strategies I don't want her to use aren't successful and reinforced. But... Can't that sometimes become exhausting for parents? And, and what can they do um, to avoid saying, okay, fine, take the five cookies? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing, Tom. And, and you're, you know, you're raising all the really most important questions. Um, and, yes, it is. This does take it's some clear. Time. That's mm-hmm. because I've made all the really important mistakes. <laughs> well, you know what, Tom? So have I. You know, you started out this show saying, you know, I wish I had this book when my kids are younger. I feel the same way. <laughs> you know, my kids are also grown, and so much of this is hard won 2020 hindsight, you know, by working with thousands of families over the last 33 years and 
and actually pertinent to your question, um, being able to take a step back and be like, look at it more clearly and less reactively, which is the crux of the issue that when we're being reactive, right, because we're revved up and we just want to take everyone out of their misery and we're like, fine, have the extra cookie, fine, stay up an hour later, um, you know, fine, have an hour extra at the playground, even though that means dinner is going to be late and everyone's going to be in bed late. The problem is, is that that sets in motion a cycle that leads to more and more drainage, more and more stress, and and less time that parents are so desperate for. Because when you're not setting the clear limits and boundaries and these protracted power struggles ensue, that increases stress, it takes a lot more time, and relationships suffer. So the, the payoff is huge if you can practice some of the things I'm talking about, like I'm going to give you a clear example, and I, and I talk a lot about this in the book because it all sounds great in, in theory, but in the heat of the moment, it's often very hard to actually practice. So what I suggest to parents is once they, they sort of agree philosophically that it would be much better to have clearer loving limits and that it would lead to more joy and happiness and less stress for everybody, um, that when you're in a thorny situation with your child, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get them ready to go to school and they're obfuscating getting into the car seat, you pause. And instead of going down that nagging, threatening path where you're trying all sorts of strategies to coax them into cooperating, which, by the way, Tom, is another mind shift. You can't control your child. You can't make them, like, telepathically agree to get in their car seat. That's something you don't control. So instead, you pause and you say, hmm, so, Tom, I've asked you to get into your car seat and you're having a hard time following that direction. I'm going to take a mommy moment to think about how I'm going to help us solve this problem. So that's what I suggest to parents is when you're in that moment, instead of reacting, pause and just sportscast, meaning just put into words what's in front of you. Oh, I've asked you to get out of the bath. You're having a hard time following that direction. Let me take a mommy minute to think about what I'm going to do. You just do that and you pause. By the way, many kids at that moment end up just cooperating because they're so freaked out by your calm and this <laughs> little thing you're doing in front of them. Um, and then you, you buy yourself some time to say, what's the end game here and how can I stay in charge and not wait and hope against hope that my child's going to cooperate and just get increasingly angry because they're not agreeing to do that. So this is what it might look like. Okay, Tom, here's the deal. Getting into the car seat is a have to. That's not a choice. Like being in the car seat has to happen by, by 8.30 because it's my job to make sure you get to school on time and I get to work on time. What's awesome is that you've got two great choices and you do it in exactly this way because you're trying to put a very positive spin on it and not get your child's haunches up using threats. And you say your two great choices are you can be totally in charge of your body and get yourself into the car seat. That one, that's one great option. Option two is I'm a helper and I get you into the car seat. I'll scoop you up. I'll get you in. It may feel uncomfortable. 
You may not like that. You might be kicking and screaming, but it's a have to to get in. So you decide, and this is such a big decision, I'm going to give you a whole minute to think about what is the best decision for Tom. Is it you getting in on your own or daddy picking you up and being a helper because we need to move on? So when you take that minute, think about what your plan is. Make your focus on what you control, that the, there has to be an end game. If you're waiting for your child to cooperate, that is the deadly space where things really unravel. Because what if your child decides he's not going to cooperate and he's going to keep running around like a whirling dervish or he's not going to give back the iPad um, or he's not going to agree to, you know, get dressed for bedtime. Then you're in no man's land and that's when things go off the rails. So, so what I'm saying is these dynamics actually cause more stress in families. And if you practice these strategies, setting these loving limits, not fearing the tantrum, um, then the payoff is huge in the long run. And that's what I help parents do is take the long view uh, and see that establishing these new dynamics and this new way of approaching the important limits you have to set with your kids, you are going to gain back a lot of time. You're going to feel much more joy and much less stress in parenting. Is it best to stick to um, a fairly rigid routine? And, and should there be, I don't know, breaks from that occasionally? Can you uh, sort of uh, structure that in a way that, you know, this is what we do, and we do it all the time, and we do it this way, except once in a while. So absolutely. You know, what I find in my day-to-day -day work with families is that when you are establishing a clear limit, like I have a lot of families where screen time went completely off the rails, you know, during COVID when kids were home all the time, which is understandable and I'm the last person <laughs> in the world to stand in any kind of judgment. I feel like I completely dodged a bullet with grown kids, you know, during this insanity. And um, but now parents are trying to recalibrate and it's very hard because like we talked about, the kids are protesting. Um, and so what I find works best is when you're initially establishing the new limits, it's important to stick to them pretty firmly until it's well established that mommy and daddy um, are going to stick to this. You may not like it. Remember, you go through all of that. We're not asking for your agreement. This is a mommy-daddy choice. We understand you don't like it. You're used to watching, you know, four hours a day, and we're going down to two hours a day, and we don't expect you to be happy about it but this is what we're doing and you stick with it and you tolerate the upset. You don't engage with it. You acknowledge their feelings and you establish it. Once it's firmly established and you are back in charge in this positive way, your kids trust that you mean what you say, um, then you can start to have some flexibility. And, you know, you might say something like this to your child, like generally our rule is, we have, you know, an hour of TV during the school week, but once in a while, like, we're going to have special movie night, or it's a really rainy day, so today we're going to let you guys watch two hours instead of one hour. You can do whatever you want as a parent once you 
have established that you are in charge because now your kids understand that you're going to follow through with what you said. You're going to be an honest broker. You're going to let them know exactly what to expect. Then you have a lot more flexibility because they know that you mean what you say and you tell them like, this is generally our rule, but it may not always happen that way. You know, we may get home late one day because we've spent extra time at the playground and we may not have that half hour of TV time, you know, after dinner. So you do want to help kids be flexible. But I find that when you're first changing your general approach, if there's been a lot of power struggles and negotiation and bargaining, and that's what your child knows. Remember, these kids aren't purposefully misbehaving or working your last nerve. That's what they've come to understand. If I push hard enough, and I don't let up, I'm eventually going to get my way, that goes in the win column. So when you first change your approach, and that no longer works for your child, no matter how hard they push or how many threats they make, you actually stick to the limit, that may, t that may take a little time and it, it, for them to adapt. And it always, not always, most of the time it gets worse before it gets better because they're testing. This is so not what they expect that they're really going to pour on, you know, their, their efforts to see what is going to get you to go back to what they know, which is the power struggle and maybe ultimately getting their way as a result of that. Um, so it's, you really have to change the system and have that be pretty firmly you know, implemented so now your child has a different understanding of the rules of engagement and then you have the freedom to be much more flexible because if you stick to the limit, your kids will adapt. That's evolution. Kids adapt to their surroundings. So once they understand that you're in charge um, and they can respect that, then you have a lot of leeway from day to day to let them know exactly what to expect and they're going to feel calmer and happier because that's what helps kids feel secure is knowing exactly what to expect and that parents are in charge in this positive way. Are the, are the guidelines, the limits, are they um, universal or are they different um, from basically from child to child? Well, you know, I think that it is very important to take your child's individual needs into consideration, right? Children are not a monolithic group, and they come into the world with their own temperament, their own way of processing and experiencing and reacting to the world around them. So often children need different limits and boundaries and need different approaches. And that is a, another one of those challenging things for parents is it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So, you know, while you may have certain rules that are standard, right, like, you know, screen time, for example, or, you know, how many sweets kids get, I think there are certain things that you can establish it as a parent that are universal, that are not dependent on temperament. But there may be other things where you are adapting your approach based on your child's temperament. So, um, for example, a child who's a really big reactor by nature, the kids who we think of as more highly sensitive and who, um, you know, may have more frequent meltdowns because they 
these are the kids who kind of don't have a filter and experience things very deeply and therefore have tend to have bigger reactions and, and kind of be triggered into stress mode more quickly, those kids often do need um, a, an approach that is different from a child who's more go with the flow and, you know, easygoing and adaptable. So you do want to tune into your child's temperament and figure out, like, the question to say is, like, what does my child need in this moment to cope. So you may have one child where, you know, you take them to a new school and they're bounding in and they're not looking back and they're just full of excitement and they're done um, and they're engaged and, and, and flourishing. And then you might have another child, right, who shares some of the same DNA who is clinging to you for dear life, right? So in that moment, you <laughs> say to my, yourself, what is my child trying to tell me with this behavior and what does she need from me? which is clearly very different from what your other child needed from you. And so it wouldn't be, oh, we're going home because this is scary and you can't handle it. And you're also not throwing this child to the wolves and saying, go, you'll be fine. It may be something like this. You know, um, Samantha, totally get it. Starting something new can feel really scary, and that makes total sense. But this is an awesome place. And um, I total faith in you that you'll figure it out with your wonderful teachers. And I can't wait to see you when I pick you up later. And you give her a big kiss and you exude confidence and you go. Um, that, that is a good example of how you can have siblings who respond very differently to the very same stimulus or stressor um, because of this phenomenon thought of as temperament. Well, this is amazing. I feel like we've just uh, only scratched the surface because there's so much to it. Um, my guest is Claire Lerner, child development specialist and author of Why Is My Child in Charge? A Roadmap to End Power Struggles, Increase Cooperation, and Find Joy in parenting young children. Now, I know the book is a great place to start. It just came out in uh, September. And, um, Claire, we're, we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do, and that's the best port of entry. It's, it's simply learnerchilddevelopment.com. Um, I'd encourage people to sign up for, I have a newsletter that goes out every few weeks that dives in deep on a child development topic. I've got tons of blogs. I've got a whole section on the book with information and excerpts and ordering information. But of course, you know, it's a book. You can, you can, you know, Google it and find many different ways to order it. Um, but the website has lots and lots of resources and, um, and content. What's next for Claire? What's next? Wow. Um, you know, I think that I continue to write about the stories in my practice to, you know, maybe have a second edition because that's what parents really want. They want to hear other parents' stories and see how this roadmap works that I've been talking about. 
Um, I'm sort of very committed to the sort of anti-one-size-fits-all approach to parenting, which is a lot of what parents end up getting and doesn't work for them. And so I um, have really become a storyteller um, to show parents how to do this detective work and make that more apparent to them. So I, I, you know, I do a lot in my writing to be able to reach more people. Okay. Um, And then I just stay in the trenches. Well, Claire, keep up the good Hi, work. Hi, this is Joe Bye from thanks the again. Lions, and you're listening to okay, the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The big thing I remember the most about uh, growing up as a child was kindergarten. Now to me, the only thing, uh, uh, kindergarten, the only good thing about it is that it, it teaches you how to say goodbye to your parents without crying. That's all. After that, forget it. They got nothing else for you to do. I remember standing in that schoolyard with 27 snowsuits on. And uh, my idiot mittens, you know. The idiot mittens are the ones with the string that go up your arm and around your neck. And the only cool thing about it is if you talk in the left hand, you can listen in the right. Hello? How's your back? That's all right, fine. Find another kid with idiot mittens on, you run up, you pull his left mitten, and he smacks himself in the face with the right. <laughs> yeah, I used to love to do that, boy. And we all stood in that line crying. Oh, where are we going? We're going to die. You better get us killed in there, and the next day I was very cool. Goodbye, mother. Take care of yourself, won't you, dear? I should be home, oh, 12.30, quarter to one, somewhere around there. Might be late, I may have a little milk with the boys, you know what I mean? Tell dad I'll see him around dinner time. Now, once they get you inside, they're lost. They got nothing for you to do because you're only five and you're too dumb to care about anything else. They try, though, you know. One and one is two. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah, cool, man. One and one is two. Yeah, right. What's a two? You don't care, man. So then, she takes... So then... Hey, they try these other things, basic things. No, no chairs in kindergarten. Everything's done on the floor. Sit on the floor, stand on the floor, you go home on the floor. Everything's in a circle on the floor so you can look at each other. Little ugly kids with pointed heads. <laughs> and you beat time to Mozart. ta dun da dun pum ta dun da dun pum How long do we have to keep this up? I don't know. Go another 10 minutes, we'll beat her to death with these sticks, all right? <laughs> then she says, okay, children, it's time for a snack. Right, now you're talking, yeah, snack, I want a Hershey bar, me too, give me a baby Ruth, right, no such luck. She brought out a box and gave us each an old, dried up, brown, nasty tasting, gag you, stick in the throat, graham cracker. <laughs> and you gotta pray for something to wash it down. Please, we're gonna die if you don't give us something soon. We got the hiccups and everything, please. She said, certainly, went over and got a case of milk that's been sitting on the radiator for about 80 years. Nothing in the world better for a bunch of five-year-old kids than good old lukewarm curdly milk. <laughs> yes, sir, we loved it. And the straws in kindergarten are the worst things in the world. Worst straws I've ever seen. They're good for one suck. You <laughs> and that's it. Flat as a piece of paper. You're sitting up there. <laughs> then to top it off, she says, okay, it's time for a nap. Yeah, there's nobody in the world anymore wide awake at 11 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of five-year-old kids. 23 kids on 23 cots sleeping wide awake. <laughs> Only one sleeping is the teacher, she's gone. Thank God for this break, boy, I'll tell you what. 
I graduated from that into the first grade. I always wanted to get into the first grade because you have your own desk in the first grade and that's just a part of being cool, man. Yeah, because I remember there was one guy that was just as old as the rest of us and his name was Richard, man. Richard was cool because he had his own desk. They skipped Richard because he could tie his own tie, you know. Yeah. They used to bring him up, bring him up before the assembly programs and the president of the school would say, all right, we'll now have Richard tie his tie for you. Yeah, yes, yeah, go Rich, yeah. yeah. Rich was cool, man. We used to pass by the room, man, and peep in the first grade and see them all in there sitting at their desk. You can see Rich, we try to make Rich laugh. We make faces at him. Hey, Rich. <laughs> Rich scared to laugh because he get a beating, you know. Now I got my own desk. Ta-da! I love this desk. Of course, they all look alike, but I gotta find out how to find my own. Because I don't want anybody to know that I'm not cool finding my desk. And I sit down on my desk, look around. I know this is my desk because I sit in front of Crying Charlie. <laughs> crying Charlie's got the coolest cry in the world, man. You can't hardly hear him or nothing. He just opens up his mouth <laughs> and tears roll down his face and everything, man. I know this is it, because I sit in front of him. So every time I come in to the room, I just look for Crying Charlie, and I sit right in front of him. Of course, if Crying Charlie's absent, I don't know where I'm gonna sit. You know? <laughs> Crying Charlie's absent, I go to his house and sit in front of him. Yeah, gotta fold my hands on top of the desk so the teacher will know what I'm doing. Got some initials on the top of the desk here. Somebody carved them all the way through to the floor. So when you write on your paper, you rip it. <laughs> Got an inkwell. Yeah, boy, they still don't trust us though. No ink in it. Afraid we'll drink it. And I would too, man. Ink is cool to drink, boy. Hey, drink ink about 325, go home with a blue tongue. <laughs> Used to make my mother faint. Ma, yeah, look. <laughs> my mother was cool, man. She would faint for anything, boy. I used to get hit in the head with a rock, cover up the blood, wait till I get right up on her. Ma, look. Wow. <laughs> Way to go, Ma. Cool, yeah. She got me back one day, though. I was playing with my navel. You know, oh, navel, navel. My mother said, all right, keep playing with your navel. Pretty soon you're gonna break it wide open. The air is gonna come right out of your body. You'll fly around the room backwards for 30 seconds land. You'll be flat as a piece of paper. Nothing but your little eyes bugging out. Keep it up. I used to carry band-aids with me in case I'd have an accident. Gonna learn to uh, write in the first grade now. They give you this paper, grade triple Z. Grade triple Z paper with wood still in it. Big hunks of wood still floating around in it. You gotta write around the hunks of wood. And the lines are about eight feet apart. They don't want you to miss getting in between them lines, man. Don't want you to start crying. They give you these pencils as big as a horse's leg. And you rest them on your shoulder as you write. A, B, may I have another piece of paper, please? I will, I will, I will, I learned the correct procedure for going to the bathroom in the first grade. You just don't raise your hand and, you know, say, may I be excused? You have to let one finger go up. If you want to do one thing, you want to do anything else, you have to let it see two fingers. In case of a tie, two wins out over one. For the longest time, I told the truth if I had to go, the old one. 
And then one day it hit me. I was in the bathroom playing the soap dish game. Seven nothing, favor me. And it hit me, now what's she gotta know what I'm in here doing for? It's none of her business whether I'm wanting it or doing it. That's why they put doors on the bathroom so nobody will know if you're wanting it or doing it in here. And it's not bad enough that the teacher knows I'm wanting it, the whole class knows I'm wanting it. You go back in the classroom, people say, how was it, one <laughs> So I just started lying after that. You know, hey, if I had to one, one, <laughs> they think I'm one in it. Yeah. Then I felt guilty and I'd go back and tell the truth. You know that one? Yes, it was really a two. Just... <laughs> she wrote it down in her book, Bill Cosby did two twos and three ones today. <laughs> I got an A in bathroom going. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!